Hi, everybody. It's great to be here with you. Um, I'm actually really glad that Dana didn't share that story because I'm going to start out with one for you. Uh, and then we're going to talk about all the tidbits that I've got for you. So basically, a couple of weeks ago, I'm driving down the street. Um, and my two-year-old son is in the car. And we're headed towards my high school crush's home. Uh, you know, we live in Nashville, Tennessee. We're a tiny little family. It's just me, my son, and our pet kitty. And it's somehow significant or important to me that I'm taking him to this home. Uh, we drive up into the driveway. Everything looks the same. We get out of the car, walk to the front door. I turn the knob. It's open like it always was. And I walk in and I'm suddenly hit with the smell. And it's the same smell from 20, 25 years ago. And suddenly that my, there are like a thousand 16 year old butterflies flapping their wings in my chest and I am transported. But then I am quickly brought back to where I am because a tiny little hand in my hand is nudging to move forward because he's very curious about this new place. So I move forward, forgetting about all that. And, and I go into the kitchen and it's the exact same kitchen and it all looks the same. And it's where I've had dozens of sodas and, and a bunch of late night beers. And, and I walk him down into the living room and then we go outside into the, the sitting area outside where there's a fireplace and some couches. And right there are my high school crush's parents. And I'm so happy to see them. I'm, I'm, I feel very close to them. They're the people that took me to my first trip to Italy. They taught me how to indulge in like a long, you know, just delicious mouth-watering Italian meal. And, and I still feel very close to them. And we sit down and we chat and, and, they're, and they're so sweet because they've got snacks and toys for my son and they show him how to hit the t-ball and they, they throw uh, food in the pond for the fishies with him. And I can tell that they have a lot of affection for him. And, and somehow I feel like I'm home in, in one of my childhood homes. We don't really talk about their son. He's married and has children, but we talk about everything else that we used to talk about, politics, Nashville business, my, my new novel coming out, and they promise to proselytize it as necessary. And it's all really well and good, except that I've got this feeling in my, in my stomach. And it's, it's like it's this discomfort, like there's a pink elephant in the room, or, or rather, since we're outside, like a, a, a possum in the outdoors that we're not really talking about, or at least for me, something that's not being discussed, which is the missing friendship between me and their son. And that's largely because of me, because I chose not to go to his wedding because, well, you know, he found his person and, and he got married, but I didn't. And, and while the adult in me knew that we weren't meant to be together, somehow in their presence, I was reminded of all that didn't come to pass. And worse, I was sort of stung with a really early life romantic rejection. But then my son would do something adorable and I'd forget or, or we'd start another part of the interesting conversation and I'd push the feeling down or just it'd get eclipsed by something else and I'd move on. And an hour and a half or so passed and we were having a great time and I took one of the chips on the snack bar that she made for us and I dipped it in the guacamole and I put it in my mouth and swallowed it and immediately I had a feeling that my sister calls rumble in the Bronx. 
basically my stomach was gripping itself so tightly uh, that something was definitely awry. I did not take another bite of the chip and I just sort of stayed there for the next 10 minutes hoping that everything would chill out when really the rumble that was in my stomach turned into a missile that was getting fueled and ready to shoot out of me. Well, I quickly realized it's time to go. This has been all well and fine. So I wrap things up. I put, I say goodbye. We take my son, we put him in the car and I'm driving and it's about 10 minutes home. And I'm thinking, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Everyone knows that we really would rather just do this at home. Well, as I'm making these deliberation, I suddenly start to dry heave, like dry heave. And my son in the back of my car has never seen anyone vomit. We've seen the throw up of our kitty on the floor. So I sort of relate him to that. He's, he's a bit freaked out, but he's a cool kid. And I'm meanwhile dry heaving again. And then now I'm thinking in my head, what is happening? What is happening? This missile suddenly wants to come out both ways. And so I'm driving and we get to this red light and typically I would turn right to go to our home, but you know, things are not in my hands any longer and it's a red light and I see a church parking lot across the way and I basically drive over into the church parking lot. I've made a decision. I unbuckle my son because I know he's not going to be an observer of this. He must participate. He jumps out and suddenly the first vomit happens and then the second. I look up at him and I smile and tell him, is, this is just like Peachy, our kitty, and everything's fine. Mommy's feeling better. He's like, Mommy's feeling better. Not convinced, of course. And then I realize, oh, I, I feel better. No, I don't feel better. The, 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 the feeling, the rumble is still there and actually is not relieved by the vomit. And, and the other thing needs to happen. And I look around and I know I'm not going to make it home. So it's either in my pants or out somewhere. And so I find some bushes, but these aren't bushes that are like, in a forest. These are, you know, really scantily clad bushes that are basically the little thin line between the parking lot, the church parking lot, and the stoplight and the parked cars at that stoplight that I ran. Well, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's absolutely irrelevant at this point. So I make the decision. I walk over there. My son follows me like a little ducky. I squat down, pull my pants down, shoots out of me in like 30 seconds. Relief is mine. I pull my pants up. He notices and says he wants to do the same thing. I promise him we'll return to this church for that activity later. And we're done. I do feel my relief. I am exercised in the church parking lot. I put my son in the car. I put myself in the car. We drive out of there. As we're driving, I just kind of turn my head to see exactly what view these parked cars at the stoplight had. It didn't look great, so I just ignored it and moved forward. In the drive home, I was thinking about what the hell happened today. And I couldn't really come up with much. So we came home. I opened up the apartment door. We had dinner. We had bedtime. It was really nice, as it usually is. And then I put my son to bed, and he sort of falls asleep on my chest. And as I'm sitting there uh, thinking about, reflecting, like, what was that all about? I thought about this idea that, that while I was in that home, I felt like I was, I felt like, I was defined by another person's sort of rejection of me. And I realized we're never defined by who chooses or rejects us. In fact, my life has been defined by who has, by, by me courageously choosing my own path. 
myself. And so as I lay there and I, and I looked at my son and our little cozy home, I realized, in fact, I'm fully proud of the life that we've built. And perhaps my body knew that better than my mind did and wanted to get that toxic thought out of me as soon as possible. Now that's my story of the night. And, and although I can't see you and, I, and I, there's not a real break, I wanted to share a story because I want to talk about stories and storytelling. Now, why did I share a story about such something so inappropriate and disgusting? I mean, I probably lost half of you by now. Well, the reason is, and I, was, I wanted to make the point of impact. Stories have impact. I don't know if you've seen the research and all the all the brouhaha about it, but basically a bunch of researchers in Spain and some at Emory Universities and others have proven that if you tell a story, it's going to be more impactful. Harvard Business Review says if you want to persuade, motivate, or be remembered, tell a human story with an eventual triumph. The heart will relate because the brain is attracted first. So basically, brain, your brain fires up in a story in a different way than when you're, when you're shooting off bullet points in a PowerPoint presentation or, or counting off facts and figures. That's why everybody from politicians to executives now start with stories. They know that that's what's going to convey with you. There's four things that are important in storytelling. There's a lot of things that happen, but I'm gonna cover the four and then I'm gonna give you my magical tips and tricks. First of all, and you guys are scientists, I am not, I consider Dr. Scientist, so some of this might be imprecise, but first of all, uh, there's, there's mirroring. Basically the storytelling, and when I talk about storytelling, I'm talking about writing or speaking. So if you write, if you read a fiction, or if you read a story, or if you've told one, it's basically the same effect. But basically, the first one is mirroring. If I tell you a story, or if we gossip about something, or if I tell you something that stays with you, you may, a month, a week, six months from now, repeat that as if it was your own idea. So stories are a great way to like um, sort of you know, hatch eggs of ideas in another person's mind. Two is coupling, neural coupling, which I have no idea what that means. But basically, apparently, it's when I tell the story and when you listen to it, the same areas in our brain are firing. And that creates some sort of connection and empathy. We're in the same place. Third is dopamine, remembering. If, if, if it's a good story and you get kind of that dopamine hit, you're going to remember the story. And finally, it's that more of your brain is activated than if you're just told facts and figures. So, um, you know, if you're talked about delicious foods, do you, your sensory cortex is gonna go off. If you talk about motor activities, hitting a baseball, your motor cortex is gonna go off. If someone says, this, the research showed, if someone says he had a velvet voice, your brain fires in different ways than if I say he had a good voice. So this is really important for why everyone is now utilizing stories in all kinds of context. If I'm gonna have a presentation to you, I'm gonna start off with a story. Now, that's why I told you a very impactful story uh, because I wanted you to remember it and experience what I experienced. Now, I have four tricks 
they're not my tricks, but they're, they're, this is the recipe that I think every story requires. So I'm gonna walk you through those and hopefully that's what you can take away uh, with you um, as you think about how you wanna tell stories. The first thing I wanna say is you've gotta be authentic. Now I know that word is totally played out and who knows what that even means. But what I mean is that we all have our own storyteller DNA. It is Mary, Fasley, they can talk about shitting in the church bushes. It is not everyone else. And you shouldn't try to take off, uh, you know, take on somebody else's personality or style or voice or expression to try to be interesting or impactful. You have to dig within and be yourself. And how do you do that? Well, I have a, one example was the, of a student that I taught this summer. And by student, I mean adults. We did a bunch of writing classes this summer. She was, um, she's a very controlled, very professional, very effective manager. And as she, but she's a great, metaphorical, gorgeous writer. But as she wrote, there was, it, it was almost, it fell flat because she was very serious about herself and her own voice. And I was like, trying to tease out of her, what, what are the layers of you? And suddenly it started to reveal that although she's very serious on the outside, she's actually quite in a funny, very, very cynical and sarcastic inside. So we let some of that voice come out and there's a sort of self-deprecation about it that actually made her writing much more interesting and much more layered. The next thing, and, and finding your authentic voice, there's a lot of activities for that and, and it can be done. Um, the next thing is the showing versus telling. Similar to what I was saying about what happens to a brain, you have to be careful not to tell too much. You've got to show. What I did in my stories, I showed. I walked you through the front door with the smells, the butterflies, with the metaphors, the butterflies in my chest. Um, I, I walked you through the kitchen. You walked outside with me. You saw me. You, you heard me talk about feeding the fish, hitting the t-ball, snacks conversation. I gave you ideas about the conversation. So I didn't, I, you, I walked, I walked you through it so that you were actually in the conversation with me. And in the event, you were in the car, you were in the church parking lot, you were there when I was making those decisions. So you got to walk us through it. Show us, don't tell us, give us colors, give us smells, give us events, sitting down, getting up, the, the boy, all that stuff. Um, the third thing is, uh, well, my favorite parts of this is number three and number four, stakes and shadows. So stakes and shadows are what make a story have oomph. And I'll give you um, some examples. Stakes are, are the stakes of a story. They're sort of the, the gravitas, right? It's whether you, uh, your, all your teeth fall out or you get a cavity, right? It's whether you fall off the cliff or you fall over a rock. These are the stakes. But a lot of people think, oh, we've got to make them crazy stakes, like the whole universe is going to blow up or there's going to be an atomic bomb or something. No, actually, stakes, if they're done well, they can be about anything. Another woman in my class this, this summer wrote a story, a 12-minute long story, where we were at our I mean, at the edge of our seat for this story. She was telling us about how it was a very important night to her. She messed it up. She totally screwed it up. It was, it was the, um, it was the night she was going to, you know, make something really important to her happen. And, um, we didn't know what it was, but we were just so enthralled. She walked us through why it mattered to us. 
12 minutes in. And then the last minute or two, she finally tells us it was a karaoke night. Like a karaoke night. <laughs> People do karaoke nights when they're drunk and never think twice about it. But for her, it was a really big deal. And for the reader or the listener, it was a big deal because she walked us through her personal stakes around it. And this is when we go to the fourth one, which is shadow. Shadow is the psychological underpinnings of a story. It's the why. It's the part in my story when I broke down how I had felt sort of rejected and left behind and that I was less than because I hadn't found that partner. It's the, it's the shadow that sort of helps up the stakes to the story. If I hadn't told you that, it might not have had as much of an interesting impact and the end of the story might not have meant as much. So in her story about the boring old karaoke, she talked about how she wanted to be a singer and had a concert when she was young and her mother missed it because she was, uh, she took her day off to go see her boyfriend in prison. And suddenly the stakes are higher about this karaoke night. They matter. And so uh, we, the reader, care about it in a way that we would have never cared about it before. So stakes and shadow go hand in hand. And the more you reveal, the more the reader feels the, why this matters to you, why this is grave for you. And so those are the four major sort of um, aspects of storytelling that I, that I focus on. Now, we don't always have to tell all of our stuff in our social media posts or in our stories. You don't have to go deep. You don't have to go that dark. But you should go a little bit and you should find out a little layer to make your story have some depth and for it to convey to other humans that say, I've been there, I've experienced that. Because if we stay just above it all, it's harder to really say, I don't know, I mean, this just sounds like another typical thing. So those are my major, my major tidbits. Um, there's, uh, there's one other last thing I just wanna mention in case you know, you haven't written much and you haven't really explored storytelling much, whether you're speaking or whether you're writing, there's a common, common structure, which is a beginning, a middle and an end. Every story is like that. Uh, they've studied stories around the world and it's basically all like that. And you work your way, you start at the beginning and you, you have an inciting incident, something that's happening. In my story, the inciting incident is that I'm going to my crushes, my high school crushes home. You have the middle and the sort of client, you know, the turning point, which is where I have the chip and something bad is about to happen. You have the falling action, which is the church parking lot. And then you have the, the resolution, which is sort of my moral of the, of the whole event. And you, that's an important structure to infuse all these other things that I talked about. Stakes, shadow, your authentic voice and expression. And, um, showing instead of telling. And that's my quick and dirty tricks and trade to uh, storytelling. I hope that that was helpful and I look forward to doing more Q&A with you.